This is a recording of a Q&A session for all the worship leaders leading throughout the day and night at David's Tent, San Diego, 2019. They're asking questions to a panel of worship leaders featuring Jeremy Riddle, Amanda Cook, Stephanie Gretzinger, and Sean Foyt. All right, we're going to jump right into it because we want to take advantage of this time. So if you've got a question, we're recording it. Um, so what I need you to do is actually come up and use this microphone. It, I don't think it'll reach all the way. And so TikTok. You know, you guys all carry a lot of joy. I think the first time I heard all of you sing, well, except for you, Sweetie Broken, but it was a joyful, <laughs> a joyful kind of explosive time. And maybe you with, yeah, I'll, I'll exalt. But anyway, so you guys carry a lot of joy, but I think about as you guys go from city to city to city, God is, and you're leading worship, um, you're seeing things in the spirit while you lead, you know, and there's different warfare things maybe that God invites you into. And I remember um, when you were through, Jeremy, at the worship night, you started like tearing down things while you were leading the worship. And I just had this moment of like, as different ones of us are leading worship, maybe going through different places and leading worship. Is there any wisdom tips you guys have learned in doing warfare while you lead and, but doing so wisely? Uh, you know, just a lot of minor chords, and uh, it's kind of, <laughs> no, I, uh, just my experience in this, um, I think I grew up, I grew up in, you know, Charismania, and which I love so much, and intercessor, and contending, and the call, and uh, tomahawk prayer jams, you know, um, and I, th I think I used to... <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. Um, I, uh, I think I used to f just kind of, I just thought that the kind of the more intense uh, you kind of maybe the more constipated you looked, the more you were breaking stuff, yeah. which I don't know, maybe it's true in some context. Um, but lately I've just been feeling like um, maybe my most powerful moments of breakthrough are, have really been coming kind of in joy. And, uh, and really, I think there's something to be said about sometimes, like, coming in the opposite spirit. I think younger worship leaders, and I used to do this a lot, kind of get pulled into you feel heaviness, and it's like, wow, break out of that, you know? Um, but now, like, if I feel heaviness, I'm like, Lord, give me the opposite spirit that I can carry. Like, let's release joy. Let's release freedom. Um, and I remember just speaking when I, when I came down here, um, I don't know, we did, like, a David's tent, a pre-David's tent deal uh, last year, I think, and I really was feeling like this kind of hesitancy and this kind of thing. And normally, I think in my earlier days, I would have been like, "Does anyone care about Jesus? Come on!" You know, uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but I I felt like you know maybe like okay, Lord, like how can we how can we enthrone you in this moment to where you become so people become so intoxicated with your goodness that they're just drawn into this place of passion. And so, I, I don't know, there's a stewardship thing I feel like that we're called to do. You know, we're not just plowing through a song list. We're, we're intended to carry an atmosphere, create an environment that, that brings people in. And so, that's just been a little bit of my journey. It doesn't mean that I, we still don't get cray and get on the drums and go wild. But I do feel like I, I really love that Psalms too that Psalms 2 moment where it's like the kings of the earth gather and the forces of hell gather and everyone's standing up against the Lord and it says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. And there's a posture of confidence as a son and daughter where you can, you can go after those things, but you can do it from joy. You can do it from lightness. And I find that in this context, joy is what much more sustainable. You can do it longer. And uh, so anyway... Anybody else? I, I feel like this is, I probably would have said something different five years ago. But I think, I feel teary about this. I think that um, the longer I'm alive, the less um, I feel so inclined to pick up a sword and I just believe that I am. I am a sword. And I think that as I um, 
without focusing so much on the war. Our worship makes war in the heavenlies. And I think we miss communion with Jesus when we get to like, we're going to tear something apart right now. There is something deeper and there is something higher than this present darkness. And I think communion trumps it all. And so I think what I'm learning is that when we make him the, it seems so elementary, but it is everything. Like when we, when we literally make him everything and we've set out to um, set him a table to minister to Jesus, he kind, we, we kind of just find ourselves in the place we're meant to be. And if he leads us to war, then we go with joy and we go with strength and we go with clarity. When we come in trying to make war, focusing on what do you want to do? I mean, like I don't even, I don't even in a set anymore go, okay, what do you... What are you saying? And what's the word? And I'm, I'm not even looking for a prophetic song anymore. I just want to know that I'm connected to Jesus. And if I'm connected to him, the song that he wants to hear, the song that will influence the room will come out of me somehow. So I think it's, it's all getting really simple for me again. That's awesome. That's great. Wow. That's amazing. Like wrecked right now. Okay. More questions, y'all. Um, I have a song about. I have a question about songwriting, which is, and I'm nervous, which is why I messed up the sentence. Um, <laughs> um, and so um, I'm I'm writing songs, and I'm starting to kind of lead them at church. And when I do, like I, I mean, I obviously pray into it. I know that this is the week that I'm supposed to do it, right? But I, it doesn't stop me from getting nervous when I'm doing it. And so I was just wondering if you guys have any things that you do or like you, um, I don't know, like rest in or fight against that with to kind of come back. Can I say something so then you can say something really profound follow? <laughs> what happens no, often when I'm with Amanda is that I'll say, I'll, I'll buy her time so that she can process it and then we'll come out with something mind blowing. I would, I w- where are you going? I want to look at you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nervous Purvis is going back to his seat. No, I, <laughs> listen, I am still with you. I think we, I can't speak for everybody. I, I know we, <laughs> we felt that a lot. I mean, I don't think, I don't really get nervous anymore. Uh, but I will say this. There is beauty in your nerves. I believe that you're still doing it. You're, you're worshiping. You're, you're doing it anyways. And that's courageous. And I think that we get authority when we step into the thing that actually makes us really nervous. There's power in that. When you go, ah, yeah, I'm shaking in my boots, but I'm going to take another step forward. You build trust with the Lord that way. You build trust with him that way. You, you get authority that way. In secret and on the stage. And I think, I just want to say that's amazing. I don't think that there are any tricks to not be nervous. Like, I think that always, a little bit of nerves to me. It's one thing if you're, like, paralyzed by fear, but I don't hear that from you. I think nerves are, like, a really beautiful thing that say, I'm in over my head and only God can do this. And I think whenever I feel nerves, that's an invitation to yield to what has always been bigger than me. Amen. Yeah, no, no, because you, she always inspires thoughts. Um, your nervous system is a gift. And I think nerves are meant to be embraced, not punished. Um, usually we get nervous because whatever it is that we're setting out to do matters because um, it requ- requires vulnerability from us. Right. And don't ever lose that. No. Um, I mean, yeah, like you'll grow and you'll get more confident, and that's beautiful. But I, like... Oh confidence and having nerves go hand in hand because it keeps us in the vulnerable edge of what we're doing we're meant to connect to people we're meant to connect music is is an on-ramp it's a way of connecting heart to heart so there will be nerves involved because it's like all of us are opening up our hearts to this this mystery and this beautiful thing called god together i mean there's always just going to be a little bit of nerves involved so i think embrace them don't punish them and um just continue to to bring them with you. Embrace them and bring them with you. 
I get butterflies all the time. Yeah. Before we, I get them all the time. It's like, <laughs> like right now. But when I'm when I'm alone with the like, no, I, I um, okay, it was extreme all the time. Is no, I, but I feel that every time I feel the anticipation. I think that's probably more what you feel. I feel anticipation that God wants to do something, and I feel so grateful that He wants to do it with me. And that makes me like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> every time. I got it before we went up last night because I feel yeah. stirred. Yeah. I feel stirred. So that's yeah. good. It's not about escaping our bodies no. in order to become more spiritual. No. It's about integrating our body, soul, and spirit so that we can wholeheartedly worship with our whole being. The, I mean, when it talks about giving our whole heart to God in the scripture. Heart is not just the seat of emotions. It's about no. our, all of our faculties. It's our mental, emotional, spiritual, physiological um, being. That's what the word heart in the scripture encapsulates. So all of it, I mean, you're gonna, we're going to feel things in our bodies. We're going to feel as we get more integrated. And the point is not to try to escape that, escape what we're feeling. It's about integrating it and taking it along with us and bringing it back as an offering, you know? Yeah, and part of your question had to do with songwriting. And so I just wanted to say a little bit, like, as songwriters, and I think probably m most of us in this room to some degree are, um, that creative vulnerability is, is crucial for growth. Um, and you have to sort of be able to set, like, when I'm writing songs, I'm like, my song babies, aren't they beautiful? Like, do you love them? You know, and sometimes they're beautiful and sometimes they're not. You know, but being vulnerable in that space of writing, because one of the things that the Lord's doing here, and I know at your church, is releasing new songs and new sound. So you have to embrace that vulnerability as you're a writer, as you're writing these songs and releasing them. But just know, like, if it doesn't land or whatever, it isn't an indication of how amazing you are. And you just keep growing. Do you know what I mean? And you're surrounded by people who are safe and healthy in that space of writing. So anyway, does that answer all your questions? Okay, awesome. I'll just say one thing, yeah. um, two things. Um, I, I think the only firm foundation that I've been able to find um, is obedience yep. to what the Lord is actually inviting and calling me to do. And that's, yes. a, that's a journey to discover like, and that's the journey that you're on. And, um, and sometimes it, it's, it's trial by fire. It's, 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 tri it's trial and error, you know, where I've stepped out on a lot of things. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that was the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. think that might have been a little personal zeal, more personal zeal than, than, right. than really the Lord. And, and, when, and when you For feel sure. that kind of firm foundation, when you know the Lord is asking you to come out on the water, um, uh, at the end of the day, that is the only thing that I feel um, in some ways in a protected space versus like in a space where I'm like completely subject to so much torment and warfare that happens after you do the thing, <laughs> you know. But if I can come back to that place of like, Lord, I was obedient to you. I did feel to the best of my ability. I was obedient to what you called me to do. Then that is a foundation that I find settles me and centers me. Um, and, and the thing is, is that's not an individual journey that you're supposed to take alone, that's a journey you're supposed to take with community. And, and I think when you're yeah. introducing a song, it, this is not an independent affair. It's something that's that right. you should be walking with other leaders, mothers, fathers, peers. So after you come out of that, you step out on the water and maybe you wobble, yeah. maybe whatever, you have a family that you come back to right. that, that, that they're, they're around you. Like they, yeah. they protect you and they go, we just honor. We, we recognize together that yes. the Lord was speaking to you yes. and that you stepped out in faithfulness. Right. And it doesn't matter how that went no. because we're, we're just around you right now. We're honoring right. you and, and we're, we're defending, we're protecting you. So and, and so you don't want to do this as an independent thing. That's where it can get really, really weird and, and hard. And the Lord has provided not just himself and his voice, but a family to plant you in for your gifting, yeah. you know, to grow. And so anchor yourselves to those two things, and, um, and it'll go well with you, yeah. kind of a deal. That's really good. Yeah. Good. Oh, that's really so good. good. All right. More questions. Come on. Come on up. Michelle Barsana. <laughs> Sorry. You guys are awesome. Um, so <laughs> I've heard Not that. Not as awesome as you are for that. <laughs> but go ahead. 
I've heard you, I've heard that collaboration is is super super important in songwriting, and I've um, had the opportunity to collaborate with some people. But uh, so I guess my question is twofold. Um, number one, actually going back to songwriting, when you're first initially writing and you're kind of you know getting it out there, do you guys have people that you send it to first to kind of help you weed through it and process through it and say that's not quite there yet or yes that's it that's the that's what you want and then the second one is um uh you don't have to say but do you have people that you just love to collaborate with and i guess there's one more (laughs) what do you look for in collaborators that's great those are great questions you have to remember all of them (laughs) no i'm like uh, that was a sequence yes the answer is yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. That's a good answer. Um, I think depending on what life space you're in and depending right. on what you're writing for and what the purpose is of the song, et cetera, et cetera, um, will kind of determine like who you want to listen to it or like it or give feedback. I think that for me personally, I think there's people that I love to send stuff to to just kind of keep you accountable to being you. And uh, I think that's, that's really important. Yeah. Um, beyond kind of the bigger use of what you want to do. Um, I feel like, I mean, I love writing with people that, that I have history with. I think that um, that's where, I mean, I've, I've, you know, probably like even these guys, maybe even more, but I've written with a ton of, ton of people. And some of them are really amazing, but I just find that the people that I have more history with, I, I d- end up liking the songs better. Yeah, uh, they end up being richer. They end up being a depth to them that you just can't get in a Nashville, you know, quick writing session for a, a record kind of thing. I mean, those can happen, and those can be great, um, and sometimes really electric. But I think as a whole, if I were to say, I think history is a really big attribute to creating songs that you feel like are really have depth and richness. And That's a great question. All right. Jeremy's leading my answer. I will follow <laughs> you. Um, I, I would say, yeah, he, we're, he was saying really good question. What? We love the, forget it. I'm going to just answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what I look for in a collaborator, I think, is me. Is yes, Buster. She looks for me. Best friends. Where's um, Amanda? Where's, where's Amanda? I actually don't write with a lot of different people, um, and I think one of the things that I, uh, one thing that we will do sometimes is before we really write a song, like we might sit with something a long time and we're just not sure, like, should I keep going with this? Is there something to it? And we'll send it to each other. And like, I send my songs to people mostly, mostly that aren't musicians because music is transcendent and it, it moves beyond this. It gets beyond the brain. So I'll play it for my husband and I'll know because he's, he, he, it moves him or not. I'll, I'll, I'll watch him. He's not picking it apart musically because he wouldn't know. But he's listening to it. I mean, he does know it's good at this point. But he, he's not picking it apart for that. He's going, does this move me? Will this change my life? And I pay attention to that and run, then run with it. And I think we do that for each other. And what I'm looking for in a, um, when I'm partnering with someone is, Honestly, someone who is carrying, um, I don't know this, I don't want it to sound snobby, but I am looking for someone who is looking for something deeper. Yeah. I'm looking for some, like, yeah. I'm looking for someone who has made something or is making something, who is living a life that rocks me. Um, so there's not a way for me to know everybody, you know what I'm, so, but when I find people, history is huge, but when I find someone who I know is living in the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, who has made him the center of their world, that is when I know I'm going to end up with a song that I, I wanted to write, and I, like, when we, when we invite the presence 
of the Lord into every session. I mean, we'll sit for three hours and talk and then write something in 20 or 40 minutes. Because it comes from connection and with Jesus and one another. It's communion. And when you write from that place, you really can't write something that sucks. Because it's, like, it's not so much about finding this cool original way to say something because it's probably been said a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times before you. So being original is whatever. You already are. Just write what is true and honest and ask people who are like a lightning rod in the spirit. People who you know find his presence in every room and every setting. And you, list, you play your stuff for them. Yeah, I think um, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat when it comes to, to <laughs> writing. Um, so I have to wade through a lot of, like, self-protection ideas where I can guise as, as yeah, like, so I don't want to partner with that, I don't want to partner with that, or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of a thing. And sometimes I, I, think, um, I think you need someone. It's kind of like in parenting where, you know, some days, you know, you, you, you need the both and. You, you need... A mother's love and comfort and nurture, and you also yeah. need the father that confronts and can pierce and That's challenge. Right. And right. I and I think um, it's it's a bit of both of those things to nurture something that's healthy. And sometimes when we just subject it to the challenge and the confrontation and the piercing, that the, there's a piece of our heart that dies, and it needs to be uh, kind of um, partnered with the, the the people who just moms just like oh I see I see right. that oh I just love that I want to nurture that I want to and if you don't have that kind of that that uh, right. agreement between those two things. Um, um, e- either you won't grow into the full stature that you're meant to grow into, or it'll die because the challenger will have killed it, y- right. you know? And, and so it also depends where you're at in your creative journey. I mean, for instance, so uh, when I first started writing for my last project that I did, um, I kind of, not that they aren't the challengers or they aren't the, because they are, they're brilliant writers, but for me, the role that they predominantly played was, was yeah, it was Steph and Amanda, was, was the encouragers, the nurturers, like, just loved it. They loved all my stupid demos. They loved everything I did. They were just, they were weepy over them, and, and they just loved them. And that, where I was at in my writing journey, was, was the most important thing. I wouldn't have been able to get to the next step. With, without the, the, the nurturing, oh my gosh, that's beautiful, that's amazing. Your heart comes alive, you're like, oh, I can still do this, you know, kind of a thing. And then, but it also needed to go through the refining fire. And it needed to be challenged, and I needed to bring in somebody who, who would kind of pierce it and be more objective and less connected to the emotional, you know, journey of it, more going, ah, oh, this part just doesn't work. It, it, it needed both of those things. Who was that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I brought in uh, uh, Ran Jackson. So um, Ran, Ran is um, he was the producer, but I, I actually didn't pull on him even so much for his production skills, yeah. but because of he was because of his writing skills. Yeah. He's kind of an out of the box writer, um, yeah. and it was just really really important for me. And uh, that was very conflicting. I mean, I'll, I mean <laughs> that's an intense journey, but I but I needed both sides for the songs to come into their full stature. You know, so so just know where you're at in your journey. Yeah. And then know what, what your heart, what, what's, what your heart needs. Do you need someone who just in this moment is like, they just, you need someone to see you and to love you and affirm you. That is super important. <laughs> you know, you might not get to the next piece of the journey. But then when you're like, okay, I think I'm ready. I think I can, think I'm ready for someone who, yeah. who's really going to like speak into this and tear it apart. And then take it to someone who you know is going to be a little bit more objective. And, and go ready, ready to be pierced. Like, like, and just be like, I know this is going to bear good fruit. It's yeah. okay. Like, be ready for a pruning, you know, and like, steal your heart, firm yourself, you know, <laughs> prepare, you know, and then, and then go in and go like, the Lord is going to, this is, this is that it would bear more fruit, you, you know, but just know we we're at in a journey and walk that through. It's great. Wow. So good. Yeah. Come on up. Kieran. Oh. Um, yeah. I just got a question. Where do you guys, um. How do you guys see the like the modern worship movement? I guess going and growing and evolving over the next three to five years. Like, what are you guys dreaming for in in that regard? Or vision? Mass deliverance. 
deliverance without anybody laying their hands on people because the glory of the Lord comes in such a way he finds us a resting place that we would become his resting place and that he would do things that we couldn't see happen if we warred for hours and hours or lifetimes. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that huge. Mass deliverance. Um, but coming from a delivered people. That's right. That's right. Um, so That's I think we're never going to be able to have the power no. to deliver people from what we're actually no. um, still subjected to. That's right. And um, I I think there's a reformation that's coming. And this is just my sense. And and the thing that's going to lead that reformation is the zeal of the Lord, the zeal for his house, the zeal that is often misunderstood, that's often confused, the kind of zeal that makes a whip and comes into a temple and, and, and yells and shouts and kicks over tables and and says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, not a house of all the other stuff that we have made his house to be about, but a house of prayer, a house of connection, a a holy, sacred place where people can come into the presence of the living God and be encountered and being changed. Not a place where, where we play a bunch of church games and, and put on the coolest production and all this stuff. Oh like, like that's not a house of prayer. It's not a house of merchandise. It's, it's, it's not uh, all the other stuff that, that we have cluttered his, his house with. We, we, it is going to be a reformation. And I believe it's, I'm hoping it's the Gen Z. I hope, I yeah, hope it's, yeah, it's yeah. the young ones where the zeal, the zeal for the house of the Lord, the zeal for the original blueprint, what yeah. God himself designed his house to be, that'll be the thing that will lead to a reformation, and it will change everything. It won't just be a mild, oh, that was a bit of a tremor. Like, it'll be a sifting in the house of the Lord yeah. and a returning to, to holiness, a returning yes. to purity, a returning to covenant, a returning to wholehearted, 100% devotion to the Lord, not, not an ounce of selfish ambition or all the other things that cloud like the landscape right now. It'll be returned to absolute pure devotion to Jesus. And that thing, yeah. when we step into that and when we begin to lead into that, we will see mass deliverance. We will actually have authority in the realms that we desire to have authority in. And, and all of those things that I dream about, like, like I'm, I'm in it for all, but I see a reformation. I see a shaking um, coming first and foremost before, before that. Right. <laughs> I, th- I think ultimately, like, and you can see what we all burn for when we lead. You can see. Um, I think obviously none of that can happen if Jesus is not central. So I think I'm looking forward to a day when worship is not an industry anymore when it's a priesthood again. And I think that um, when we're not, you know, like, and I'm saying this in general, this on a whole in the world, hear me, okay? Um, When we're not just, when we don't get lost because we've monetized on momentum. It's purity, it's coming back to the purity of Jesus, the priesthood, ministering to his presence before we minister to the people. That, that is worship. And we've often come, to, come in, just we build our sets around the people in the room. We build a key and every detail down to what we think they'll engage with. When what they really need is his presence. They need the person of Jesus. And so I think like the longing of my heart the longing of our hearts, I would think every leader, I mean, we, we can't actually lead people's worship. They have to choose that. We lead people, and we're worshipers. And um, I don't have the power to lead your worship for you. That's an offering only you can bring, and it's only beautiful because you bring it. And um, so I think, I think this is a returning, like we're just praying for a returning so that when we come into his presence and we actually call it worship, that it, it is. 
it is. It's not just the portion of the service that sets up something else. We, we don't come in like, we don't walk out of worship sets going, I really needed that. We stop saying things like that and we come to minister to the Lord. And we come having worshiped at home so that when we enter in, there is a corporate thing that happens that's explosive. And we don't have to war on the wall for hours because we've all come ready and sharp. We've become swords that he can pick up any time and wield. Yeah, um, I think we're in a really unique space because, you know, worship is like so hot right now and the industry and so cool. And I I played at this, I don't do like a ton of festivals, but I did this, this outdoor thing in Minnesota this summer that a friend of mine was putting on and he just had a heart to like shift the entire evening to where it just be like less of a band showy thing and more worship. But all of the CCM guys, which are amazing, just beautiful people, uh, bands that are still around that like from when I was in high school (laughs) and literally they're all just doing like worship covers. Like that's literally all they're doing now, which is, I think is great, but it just goes to show you that it's like, it's, I think it's really, we're in a unique space where it's becomes, you know, the cool thing and the driver and church and <clears throat> getting people in the industry and everything. And I don't know, I'm really passionate and what, what I'm excited about and, you know, speaking specifically in the context of events like this, where I feel like God um, gives us a moment to kind of be injected with that Davidic heart again. And, uh, you know, this 72 hours of worship, which kind of might be a new thing for SoCal, um, SoCal, but, um, (laughs) SoCal, uh, but, but it, but actually, you know, it's, it's interesting. We were, we were reflecting back to the first year that we did this in the UK and, and there was 500 people there and under this tent we were baking hot and, 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 you know, and we were like, nobody knew what, what was happening. I think half the people were just seeing if it was a cult or not. And it was just like, but, but there was a virus that got injected into people's hearts when they spent 72 hours in the presence of God. And all of a sudden it didn't become so weird. It became more normal. And, you know, fast forward now eight years, it's, it's reset the landscape of worship in the United Kingdom. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's beautiful. And I think that, you know, if you look at the 80s, in the, in the 1980s, there's, I don't know, maybe a handful of uh, houses of prayers around the world um, that were 24-7. Now, I think there's over 20,000. And um, this, this kind of insanity of 72 hours of lavishing our love on Jesus is becoming normal. And uh, I feel like, you know, it's an opportunity for us moments like this. And, you know, the industry thing is going to happen because, you know, whatever sells is what's hot and what everyone wants to do. But we're in a real kind of refining moment where I feel like the Lord is, 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 and, you know, the Davidic anointing, it's like so much more than being like a professional worship leader, like which point zero 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 one percent of the population will ever be. But the turning on of that Davidic heart to carry that into whatever sphere of society, whatever occupation, whatever job, whatever, you know, season that we're in. Um, And it could be, you know, leading at a church like maybe some of you guys do, which is great, but, but we carry that thing. And I feel like that, that events and gatherings like this, which are becoming more common around the world, I love it. You know, nobody knows who's going to worship, what's going to happen, what the set list is. It's, you know, it's almost an expectation for the unpredictable, yep. which I think is what, make church, what makes church fun, yeah. <laughs> is showing up and, and, and kind of returning back to that wonder again of going, oh, I don't know what God's going to do. Anything could happen. Um, so I, I, I think the Davidic, I mean, I'm really passionate about that, just that, you know, um, that, that Davidic heart, you know, that Psalm 132, uh, give no sleep to my eyes, no slumber yeah. until I find a place for yes. you to dwell. 
And, and, you know, David didn't have this dream to build some empire of worship that generations would model. He was just obsessed with God's presence. And he wanted him with him. And I feel like that's really the heart of what the Lord's doing. And, um, and it's amazing. Like, I love what Jeremy and Steph are saying. Like, you know, you have guys doing worship now. Like, that I, I don't even know if they're, like, professing Christians. But they're just doing it because worship is, like, the thing, you know. And uh, it's kind of crazy. I, don't, I can't decide if I like it or not. Or I'm like, you know, it's like Paul said, some do whatever. But as long as Jesus is praised, it's great. I mean, I love, like, Kanye. I don't even know what's happening, but I love it. I don't know what's happening, you know. But he's doing worship services and it's in Wyoming. <laughs> and, like, I'm all about it, you know. And I don't know about all his theology, but, you know, but I love that God, he's... He's infecting people with that Davidic heart all over the world. It's just, and it's going to break the mold. If I was going to say one thing, I think that we have not yet seen what is possible in the realm of worship. You know, it says in Malachi 1.11 that from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, every place will be filled, every industry, every mountaintop, every single place of influence on the earth you know, and I think that we're, we're seeing the things like Kanye and other guys, we're going to see way more of those. And we're just going to have to go, well, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, if he's lifting up Jesus, I'm all about it, you know. So it gives it, it and the other cool thing is it exposes how religious we are. Yeah, yeah. it really does. You know, yeah. where, uh, you know, where it says that, you know, it says that Michael, you know, looked on David and because she was unwilling to rejoice in David's freedom, she was barren until the day of her death, and uh, we don't want to. We don't want to be those people. So. No. No. I think. Last thing. Yeah. Jump in. Oh, I thought we were moving on. So sorry. Um, I, I think. You know, it's interesting when we talk about David. David wasn't just a radical worshiper. He was the king of the nation. Like, he was the ultimate governing, ruling authority in the land. And because of that, he was able to establish a culture of worship and, and an era of reformation in the entire kingdom. And I, I believe there's something with worshipers and government that, that has to realign. And, and there has to be something where the worshipers, the ones with zeal for the Lord, take back government. And I'm not just talking about politics. I'm talking about industry. And I go, what people don't understand, the reason why industry languishes is because it's not run by the zealous worshipers. And I, I'm not, I don't mean this in any, it's full of brilliant, beautiful people, but there, we have to lay hold. We have to take back the territory that we have relinquished to people that do not carry that, that, that same, that, that spirit. Like the worshipers are meant, like the ones whose hearts burn purely before the Lord are meant to be the governing authorities as well. And as long as the worshiping pure hearts just continually subject them to themselves to some other governing authority, it will inevitably be tainted. Like, and it, it will not have the impact that it's meant to have. And so I think, well, I'll just say that I, I don't, I don't know, but I just know that there's has to be a shift where, where, where instead of just trying to play ball with something, there has to be a radical reformation of that thing, a complete resetting of, of, how, of how we do that. If we want to see a Jesus movement, it, it's like we got to wipe the, the, this whole thing clear and come back to what was this thing supposed to be about and how do we rebuild the government around the heart, which is because, anyway, I just think that's going to be a massive piece for the future. Can I add one thing? Please, yes. Just one thing. Um, i just take a deep dive real quick into... Uh, just interesting territory, but um, Billy Graham, at the height of his calling, when he was doing these large gatherings for the gospel, the South was still segregated, and they had ropes up in between black and white. And um, in one of his presentations, he just walked off stage and took the ropes down. And it caused an outrage, because it was culturally still comfortable within the church to have the gospel presented in a place where people would feel segregated. And um, when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, what are the ropes that are up in my day and age? In our time in history, what are the culturally confident and 
and man, we're so convinced of our rightness. Come on. Like, what are the ropes that we are responsible for taking down? Because when Jesus drove whips through the temple, it wasn't just the merchandising That's and right. the, whole, the whole idea around that we've created around this idea. It was, it was that the religious leaders were making it hard for people to encounter Jesus, to come into the temple. They were putting up a bunch of obligatory, you know, things that they had to go through in order to earn a spot. And Jesus is like, hell no. I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> hell no. I'm like, the, like it's, we, have to, we have to be conscious of taking the ropes down. To making a space, like, yes, the, the vertical, the, the eternal, the internal, the within, the beyond, the connection, the communion, and to invite people into the uncomfortability of our own vulnerability, going, I've, I would like my assumptions about you to be replaced with the awareness of the Christ mystery that's alive inside of you Come that on. I don't understand. Because the Christ mystery is alive inside of every single living being on the planet. So I think as a worship movement, whatever we want to call movements, um, that we would get back to the point, which is that Jesus, the radical love and inclusivity of Jesus, who forgave all of mankind on the cross already, that we would be part of pointing that out. That we would just point that out. We would actually sit in awe with each other, looking each other in the eye, going, oh my God, you have a peace, you have something that I've never seen because you have a specific perspective about the Christ mystery that I've never heard and that we would begin to actually celebrate it in each other. Anyway, so I just hear, I just keep hearing, like how do we take the ropes down and what are the ropes that are up in our day and age that we're responsible for taking down? Because otherwise we'll just all still stay comfortable in our own like little clusters of people where we think alike and we call that our own church, our own brand of Christianity, and we get really like hyper right just about it, you know, like we're doing it, we're doing it. Guys, we're, we're the passionate ones. We, at this weekend, are the only passionate ones in Southern California. It's very quick how that can kind of become a subconscious narrative, isn't it? We're like, yeah, finally, finally some fervor, finally some passion. No, there's a lot of passionate people out there that are like, we're all waiting to be awakened, right? Like, we're all waiting to be awakened, and um, it all lives inside of us. I'm sorry, I just really went on a tangent there. But, like, taking the ropes down and creating a space where everybody is actually invited to the party. Everyone. Everyone. Amen. Preach it. <laughs> so good. John, come on up. Well, I had a, I had a question, but I totally... I want to affirm what you said. I'm um, Armenian, and I watched God wrote, wrote me into a reconciliation work on the 100 year of the Armenian genocide in Istanbul, Turkey. I've seen the impossible, and it's the heart of God. There is no version of unity in the body when we're all in silos, worshiping God, trying to say the word by ourselves. Come on. You're right on. Come on. Anyways, um, my question was, um, so thank you for that. Um, my question was, uh, as um, the, the formation of psalmists, um, you guys, God has used you richly, and we all lead. And and um, God was just has been speaking to me recently about what uh, about a trustworthy psalmist. He said, trustworthy. John B. and raise up trustworthy psalmist. And I would love to hear from you guys how you could speak into us what you feel like in these days in a time when worship is very uh, trendy. Um, what a trustworthy psalmist would look like in the formation of that. I just think, I mean, I think the biggest would probably be obedience and uh, singing what you're supposed to sing when you're supposed to sing it, whether it's popular or not. Um, that's why Keith Green was so wild. <laughs> um, he's pretty intense. But, um, and it's not like, I think there was an element of him that was also just kind of looking for a fight, too. He's probably an eight on the Enneagram. That's what I am. Um, but, uh, but, but everyone knew that he couldn't be bought. Right. And, uh, and I think, you know, I, I, I would say two things. One, obedience, and, and two, faithfulness. 
and uh, I think those are those are two of the the markers I feel like in this hour you know that we would be obedient to what the Lord says and tells us to do and that we would be faithful in seasons of hiddenness and seasons of openness yeah I mean, trust is built over increments and quiet moments. Um, and then in moments when you put a relationship on display for whatever reason. So in worship, we're putting a relationship with the divine on display, right? So we fall back on the trust that's been built in quiet moments over years and over time. It's not like that those are the moments that trust is built. It's like we rely on the trust that has been built, you know? So I think it's, I mean, we're in a long-term space here. We want lives that are given over to following Jesus, following the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. So I think trustworthiness really is, I mean, building in any relationship, we, we build trust with each other the deeper we go in friendship over long periods of time people see Steph and I and are like, oh man, best friend goals, hashtag, you know, but it's like, th there's a minuscule fraction that's actually put on display. Like we've sat yeah. with each other in oh, all of the moments and I trust her with my life, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I don't know, I'm just, I'm just pondering out loud right now. No, it's good. I mean, really simply, I think they've already said a lot of things, which I think we've said a lot of, I think we've said a lot of these things in other answers. Um, but I, I think that um, truth is so up for grabs these days. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father through him. He died and he rose again to pay for our forgiveness, to pay for our reconciliation to him. That is a gift that we have to receive. We have to invite him into that space. And I think that um, truth is crucial to what you're talking. He, he has to be central. If he's not, I don't trust it. I don't think there's anything trustworthy if Jesus is not in the middle of it. And far be it from me to ever have a microphone and not say his name. Because he is the way. The way let the way of Jesus is, as Jason Upton only could sing, let the way of Jesus lead us back where we belong. And we've all got a lot of uh, theologies and ideas, but if truth is not central, if he's not the truth, if we don't believe his word, if we don't know the sound of his voice in a room full of thousands, we'll lose our way every time. So being with, you know, we're not all going to be the same we all have broken theology because we're all returning. There are pieces that have not been revealed to us. But if he is central, I trust that. I trust the fruit of Jesus' life when I see it come out of the people around me. If there's not fruit that Jesus is central, I don't trust it. So, anyways, that's... For me, bottom line, yeah. bottom line. But I think it's impossible to talk about truth without talking about the Word of God. Yeah. That's it. Because yeah. like, uh, there's lots of people that are claiming that Christ is central in everything, but it's yeah. not the Jesus that is in Scripture. And so well, there has to be this, this absolute adherence to the Bible, <laughs> um, to Scripture, because, because without that, it, it's like it's anyone's plumb line, you know? And if that ceases to be the plumb line, then we are truly lost. And I, I feel like um, in that trustworthiness is actually trusting That's the right. words. You know, lots of people, there's so many different ideas and variations of Jesus. Right. And I just like, ah, there's like trustworthiness is, is when you give yourself. I think it begins in surrender and a full on surrender to the Lord. And that means we are putting ourselves under the authority of Scripture. Like they're, they're, we're actually, it's a whole life submission to, to what his word is, is is declaring and saying. Um, I think that's that's a huge piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That's so good. Um, we're going to honor everybody's time, but can you guys just thank these guys? Thank you so much. Um, and why don't we just stand? And Jeremy, would you mind, just because our regions are connected,
The Lord brought you to Orange County for a reason. Could you just pray a blessing over these local peeps and... Jesus, you are worth everything. You are worth everything. And in this land, Lord, uh, in this land that's broken in so many ways, divided, idolatrous in so many ways, Lord, lost in so many ways, Lord, I pray that you would raise up, you would raise up those who would restore the age-old foundations, those who would rebuild the walls, that you would raise up those whose hearts are true and pure before you, covenanted to you, hearts of burning, wholehearted devotion, Lord, that you would break the fear of man in all and every way that it manifests, and that you would release this generation to run fully, wildly, purely, in a focused way after your heart, that they would rebuild that which has been torn down, that Southern California would not be a note as a place of compromise or, or, or apathy or any of these things. It would be known of a place where, oh my gosh, Jesus is lighting a fire here. He's lighting a fire here in this people. He's raising up the pure ones, the undivided ones in the midst of a divided land. He's raising up those who, the Meshachs, Shadrachs, and Abednegoes in a culture that's asking everyone to bow. But it will be like, we will not bow. We will not bow. Lord, I pray for strength and a courage to come on those who are called to break up the fallow ground here. A strength and a courage. That we would not sow the seed amongst thorns, but we would break up the land. We would, re we would break it up so that all the weeds would be gone and that the fruit would be able to spring up from the seed that you're sowing. Lord, so we just say, yes, break up our fallow ground. In all the ways that we're aware of it and unaware of it, God, break up our fallow ground that the seed that you long to plant here for the harvest in the nations that's coming, God, would be able to bear full fruit. In Jesus' name, I release blessing over you blessing over you to run the race before you, to get rid of the sin that, sing, that, that, that just clings so close that you'd be able to run with purity the race ahead of you, <laughs> fixing your eyes on Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. I bless you to run your race, San Diego. Run your race. Throw, put your stakes in the ground. Run your race for the sake of the name Jesus and for the sake of of his glory on the earth. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Hit subscribe to hear more. And if you want to find out more information about Davis Tent, go to www.davistent.net.